bless you. God bless you. Morning. Well, there have been a great deal of comments made regarding what's transpiring in this place. Let me inform you of something, and I don't want to be repetitious nor waste good time. We can gather in this sanctuary or any other sanctuary, and if we are not careful, we will just accept it as the norm. But I want to say something, and I say it sincerely to you this morning. For a few moments here, something extraordinary happened. Whether you realize it or not, a spirit of intercession swept over this congregation. Amen. And I'm going to inform you of what transpired when it did. We talk about him coming down to us. That didn't happen. We went up to him. Whether you realize it or not, you suddenly entered the court of heaven and you united yourself, the church of the earth, with the church that is in heaven. And you began to worship the judge who sits upon the throne. Something happened here this morning, folks. Amen. Something transpired here this morning. Amen. Now, you may not for the moment recognize it because God doesn't always move within the moment you expect. But there is something that he has done. Amen. And we thank God for that this morning. Amen. I'm going to read you a simplified verse out of the Old Testament from the last prophet, Malachi. He speaks the final word of the Lord in a prophetic way to the nation of Israel until the prophet John the Baptist steps upon the scene. And Israel, a nation of people that he has dealt with for now centuries, he makes this profound statement to them in Ephesians 3 and 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I am Lord. You may be seated this morning. I know you realize this without me saying it to you, but the mind is a phenomenal, phenomenal 
tabulating mechanism. It has been designated to be the most complicated computer in the entire world. Now the wondrous complexity about its capacity is that the mind consists of billions of cells, each of them intimately connected one to the other. The purpose is to serve the function of rational thought, memory, emotion, perception, coordination, and the list goes on and on. There are some strong indications that the subconscious mind retains every thought, every sight, and every sound. Yet with the capacity that the mind has, the mind cannot compute nor begin to comprehend God. It is God who informs us of these facts concerning himself. They come to us from another prophet, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks and says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Yet my introductory text that I have shared with you this morning, it amazes me. Not because of what it says, but because who said it. I am the Lord, and I change not. He is doing something there that is of necessity. He is declaring to the nation of Israel who he is. And he uses the word Lord for clarification. For they recognize that Lord is Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant maker, the one that entered into a covenant with an individual who through the sheer simplicity of faith was willing to believe God against the odds. And because Abram believed God at 75 years of age, God counted that unto him for righteousness. It was God then out of that relationship that said, because of your unwavering confidence, your sustaining maintenance in the conviction that I am God, I'm going to bless you. There is going to come from your loins a generation a generation greater than the stars of the heaven and the mass of the sand of the sea. 
I will enter into covenant with them. They shall be my people, and I shall be their God. There are certain stipulations they had to follow. And God said, if you will follow those stipulations, you will only begin to see what I will do for you. But Israel chose to go their own way. And yet God addresses them now and says, if I were like you, you would be consumed. But I don't change. My views, my opinions, my procedures don't change. In other words, you have changed, but I have not changed. You see, there is a quality about God that cannot in any way be influenced by our actions. It doesn't make any difference what you do. God is still God. It doesn't make any difference what you believe that does not change God. I am convinced that there are too many people who have a limited concept of God. On the other hand, there are others that have a distorted understanding, or they have an inadequate view of the Lord who said, I change not. For that, by that statement, he is providing us with a knowledge a knowledge of qualities that God possesses. His ways may be beyond our ways and his thoughts beyond our thoughts, but God wants us to know who he is, what he is capable of. And the only way to know that is to have a good understanding of how he presents himself within his word. So the question is, how is he unchangeable? He doesn't lie. He doesn't say, I am the Lord and I change not, and that does not exist. When he speaks, he means exactly what he says. We must recognize that the character of God, and God has a character, folks, character of God is holiness, but the nature of God is love. So God has both a character and a nature, both justice and mercy. He is not, as some interpret him, as a impatient, irritable creator who somehow has lost control of his creation and seemingly in his wrath was determined to destroy it all. He is not a stern judge. Yet Abram said, the just judge of the earth shall do justly. But he is not an unjust judge dispersing impersonal justice. Neither is he a king who's got to be flattered and bribed into concessions of mercy. Thank God for that. And neither is he a rigid accountant checking up on the sins, again the penance, and striking a cold hard balance. 
Whatever your opinion of God has been, God is telling us who he is by his character and his nature. Yet nothing is more essential to the character of God as truth. The Apostle Paul makes this astounding claim. God cannot lie. In other words, he is who he says he is. He is the unchangeable Lord. So that God must be consistent with his qualities. Amen. He is holy, and holiness cannot compromise with sin. And because of this quality, man wants to denounce God's existence and escape what is the result of his holy character. God has no evil in his character. He cannot be stained by influence or evil, and neither can he excuse. By his very character, he is immutable. Yet a change in God's procedure does not suggest a change in his plan. Neither does the adoption of a new approach imply any defect or imperfection in his character. So before we totally denounce God, before we say you're unfair and you're unjust, let your intelligence become conscious of these qualities, his character and his nature. Because the nature of God is God is love. Every reflection of his nature are the results of either his character or his nature in the Word of God. God will not change his person, purpose, but he will change his response if we, his people, appeal to his nature of love. The word says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. Why? Because what you understand about God will direct how you live and how you worship. So then I'm going to ask us. Is it possible to alter the counsel of the Almighty? Can a human request of a believer's lips restrain, accelerate, and change orders of events? Can, can prayer make things 
that are not to be as though they were. We say they can, but do we believe they can? Do you believe for one moment a God as the God I've described to you would admonish, would compel us, mortals, human beings, subject and susceptible to all kinds of errors, mistakes, and sin. And yet God say to us, ask and you shall receive. Do you think that God would ask us to do something he has no intention to fulfill? Do you think God dwells in the realm of deception? Do you think he moves into realms of trickery? Do you think for one moment he wants to deceive you into a dilemma of complete failure? God is who he says he is. If he said to us, ask and you shall receive, count on it. Don't let circumstance or situation or minds or intelligence or degrees distract you from the truth that our God is unchangeable. Not many of us possess creative potential. Few of us are really blessed with towering personalities or shining gifts or brilliant intelligence or even golden talents. The majority of us in this room this morning we are just ordinary people. Unspectacular persona. Some of us may even feel that when we look at the lives and the actions and the results of others that we've been cheated in some way. We might even believe that we are a deprived person of very little or no significance. But don't let the enemy deceive you. The least gifted person among us has access to the most creative resource in the entire universe. You don't have to have a degree. You don't even have to have gone to college. You don't even have to be a person of extreme wealth or notoriety. But I'm going to tell you something. If you know how to step into the secret place, you are the most powerful potential for the kingdom of God on the face of this earth. You have more to your advantage than any CEO that has governed any company or any baker that has rolled into the millions and the billions. You can move the arm and the muscle of omnipotence and you have the power to change destiny because you know who you are and who you serve. We place so much great stress on the importance of human endowments. 
And I'm not belittling that. I believe that all of us are gifted to some degree, some greater than others. Some he's given five, and to some he's only given two. But we're blessed. Some people have magnetic personalities, techniques, intelligence, cleverness, and skills as a principal factor in maybe shaping the events of human history. But God knows. But God knows that prayer is where the action is. Amen. To call upon him results in what? The healing of our land. If my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, then shall I hear from heaven. And because of what I hear in the anthems of heaven, I shall heal your land. No government can do that, but you can do it on your knees. You can change destiny. But I pray, and even when you pray, you don't have to always say exactly the right thing because it isn't what you say, it's where it comes from that he's interested in. You may not always use the proper pronunciation or you may not even put the punctuation in the right place. You just need to pray sincerely because when you pray, you have entered the court of heaven. You have come before the judge who is our intercessor and our mediator and our advocate. And regardless of what we have done, if we will, as pastor has said, before there can be anointing, there's got to be confession. If we will confess our sin for which we are all subject to, he, the righteous judge, will forgive us of our sin, cleanse us of our unrighteousness, and through the power of the washing of the blood, we have an audience with a God that changes destiny. Prayer is the greatest activity that any mortal could ever enter into. And he doesn't care how you're dressed. He doesn't care how you look. He isn't interested in your pedigree. He doesn't check your background or your heritage. All he wants to know is, do you believe? The least gifted, the least endowed, the least known person in the world. They tell me, I don't know this is a fact, but they say at Colby's funeral, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? They have rented the largest coliseum that will hold tens of thousands of people that are expecting at that man's funeral. And I'm gonna tell you something. We may never reach the level of that man's influence. But I'm going to tell you something. 
when you get on your knees you have moved the thousands and the thousands of thousands that are crying holy 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 you have entered into a majestic realm and move the heart of a God can that can do anything so don't let the enemy tell you you are a no one a nobody you'll never succeed you'll never amount to anything he knows exactly what you're capable of mounting to and that's the very reason he keeps you from your knees and on your feet but if we will humble ourselves our God will move in our direction do you think for one moment that what Jesus beheld and walked among in the depravity of the time in which he did of mankind's sin I'm going to tell you something he was holy he was God in human flesh he was the only one who could have picked up the stone and battered that woman's life but he's the one that said neither do I condemn you he did not excuse their sin he did not justify it he didn't say because of your status you're overlooked he didn't say because you are seemingly more attractive in numerous ways than the other that I ex exempt you God never excused sin I'll tell you what he did he died for it he died for it he died for your miserable life he died for the wretchedness you wallowed in. He died from the hole from which he had to dig you out of. He died for you. He didn't criticize you. He reached down and scooped you up and made you something. We are not minimizing sin because we don't harp on sin. But I'll tell you what we're doing. We're maximizing Christ's mercy for sin. We're not whitewashing sin because we are not bashing people. I'm going to tell you something. I say this honestly. I've been in this thing a long time now, folks. I've heard a lot of bashing against people come from this pulpit. We've got more people out of the church because of it than we've got into it. And it's going to be to our default. God never called us to bash. He never called us to judge. He never called us to raise our finger of condemnation and say to anyone, but because you're a harlot or because you're gay or because you're a drunkard or because you're an addict, you are not deserving. Those are the very ones he went to the cross for. And yet we bash them with our tongues and we criticize them because they don't come up to our mentality or our level of what we call holiness. Uh, but God is saying to us if we did as much praying in the secret place as we did criticizing in the public place we'd see a miracle in our society our Christ-like intercession outweighs the need for immediate judgment on a society Brother, you can do more on your knees than you can do anyplace else. James tells us this. 
in the second chapter, the 13th verse, mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Why? Because it plays exactly into God's heart and perfectly fulfills his purpose. Just as God is a God of love and a God of mercy, so also is he a God of justice and a God of judgment. Out of respect to you this morning, Pastor, how much time do I have? I really want to release my spirit to you folks this morning. I really want to somehow allow the Holy Spirit to change our mentality and to move us because we're a piece of machinery in this earth that Jesus said you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. We don't realize what a mechanism of grace and hope and destiny we are. So allow me. If I get too long, ushers lock the doors then because you said I had my liberty. But just as God is a God of love, God is also a God of mercy. So also is God of justice and judgment. He gives rebellious people. Because his character is holiness, his nature of love. The Bible says love is stronger than death. His love seemingly outweighs the fact of judgment. But yet he's got to judge. But he needs an intercessor that will appeal to that nature of love. Someone that will begin to call upon him. That he will be moved. And that has been become moved with compassion. He will give the rebellious, the stubborn, the indifferent, the sinful. I, I, you know, folks, I thank God every day I wake up that he has not struck America with what we're deserving of. You don't know how fortunate you are that there is a body of people within this earth that is still grasping a hold of the eternal hand of God and saying, God have mercy on us. God is patient. God is long-suffering. He gives rebellious people chances over and over and over again. And this is a fact that Abraham discovered as he looked over the valley of Sodom. When Abraham learned that God was considering the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it wasn't just because his nephew and their family was in that, but there was something about Abraham who cared. Amen. He cared. And he said to God, now listen to me, folks. Abraham is flesh and blood. Check it out. He made mistakes. He sinned. He backtracked. He failed. He lied. He was a human being, but he still confessed his weaknesses before his God. He built his altars, and God heard this man. 
So don't think for one moment because you have made a mistake or because you have sinned or because you have erred or the generational curses of the past hang over your head like a dark cloud that God has absenced himself. Oh no, he has not. If you will humble yourself, God will hear from us. And Abraham said, a human being talking to his God Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I'm not questioning you, Lord. I'm just asking you a question. I'm not trying to dictate to you what to do. I'm just asking you a question. Abraham touched God's nature. And this is how he began his intercession. Abraham stood before the Lord and said, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Pre-adventure. There be 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy the city and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are there in? The unusual dialogue which follows are the words of a mortal appealing to the nature of God. What happened? in this unusual exchange. Did Abraham persuade God to change his mind? No. You cannot change the mind of God. But you can change his response. Amen. By appealing to his love. We are not going to see the law saved by our words of condemnation and our self-righteousness and our piety. No. We're not going to save them by walking through the corridors of the world in which they walk and look our long noses of self-righteousness down upon them and say, you poor, miserable worm, lost and on your way to hell. We're not going to save them by condemning them and criticizing them. I don't agree with their actions. I don't agree with their choices. I do not agree with their lifestyle. Some of the things they do nauseate me inside to the extent I just feel disgusted. But that's the reaction of what they are by their sinful nature. But what God and his mercy is trying to achieve through our divine reborn nature is to let them know there is a God that can bring you out. A God that can do something for you. But we have been so prejudiced. We have been so biased. We have been so critical. We have been so condemning that we have stoned them rather than embraced them. Did Abraham persuade God? No. But he influenced him. This method of criticism only aids Satan and strengthens his leverage as the power of darkness. But because of Abraham's approach, the Lord said, the Lord said only after man touched his nature. 
I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And Abraham brought the numeral to 10, and God said, if there be 10, I don't care what stench fills my nostrils and what warpness has overtaken them. If there be 10, I will spare that city. Moses interceded for 3 million rebellious Israelites whom God said in Numbers 14 and 12, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit every last one of them. It was not Israel that cried out for mercy and repented for the rebellion. Church, if we are waiting for the United States of America from the political realm to the skid rows of poverty, to bend their knees, it'll never happen. But it will happen when we, the church, bend ours. Amen. If you think for one moment any political politician, male or female, is going to change the destiny of America and our influence in the world, you are badly informed. The only thing that will change it is when you relate to him who holds the nations of the world in his hand. He is the one that rises up and he is the one that puts down. And we have the core to pull on for we know the nature of his love. I am getting excited this morning, but we've got to be moved, folks, to sit in a pew, to clap our hands, to pat our feet, and say, I went to church this morning. That's not good enough anymore. We're going to have to seek the throne of heaven and get out of our complacency, our indifference. The lukewarmness of Laodicea is warping us spiritually. God, Open our eyes to who you are and what you want to do. No, Israel never did it. But Moses did. And the Lord turns around in the 20th verse of the same chapter and he says these words. Now hear it. I have pardoned according to to thy word. What came out of your mouth, Moses, is what has touched my nature. What you have said in the secret, I am now rewarding openly. To think, just think, folks, we have power with destiny through intercession. God seeks for one person just one who believes in mercy and cries out for it. The Lord says, he searched for a man among them who should stand in the gap before me for what? The land that I should not destroy. 
God's Spirit is sweeping the shores of America from the border of Canada to the one of Mexico from the west of California to the east of New York City and he's saying if I could just find one man just one man I will heal their land I've got to respect your time this morning I'd love for you to come back tonight so I'm going to respect your time and I'm going to say this to you God is in this room right now to do something in the lives of each and every one of us that reaches beyond the spectacular. Amen. But this is what's got to happen. You've got to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. I'm not for abortion. I'm against abortion. But I'm living in a nation that's put a sanction on abortion. And because I live on this sod, I stand in need of repenting for the sins of our nation. I haven't committed it. I'm against it. But I live here. And if I will pray against it, if I will lift my heart into the hands of an almighty God, even though we have slaughtered billions of innocents, God will hear the cries of the righteous. Amen. God took his children through their disobedience, Israel. He said, I've taken it long enough. I'm going to let Babylon swoop you up like a mother eagle sweeps up her eaglets. I'm going to just let him sweep you up. And you're going to go into a land you know nothing about and among a people whose tongue you don't even understand and a custom that you are not acquainted with. But there you're going to be. You're going to be living among pagans and the man that's going to rule you is going to rule you with an arm and a hand of iron. So when you go into the land, curse it. Judge it. Stomp on it. Say everything you can against it. That's not what God said. Oh, no. God said, if you want to have anything, when you go into that country, pray for that land. Pray for that king, that Babylon, that heathen. Pray for that man. Why? Because your prayers will develop your peace. Amen. Your prayers will develop your peace. Your prayers will. You may be in bondage in your life, but you'll be free in your heart. You may be in sorrow in your destiny, but you will have joy unspeakable because you have allowed the Prince of Peace to rule within.
Pray for them. Pray for the peace, and you shall live in peace. I have criticized, and I confess. I have condemned, and I have spoken out of my own mouth my opinions and my views about things that I have no control over. And I have said, God, forgive me, because the only thing I do have control over is what my tongue says in the secret place. Because what I say in secret to my Father who is already there, His promise to you and to I is simply this, I shall then reward you openly. I am the Lord, and I change not. God's calling upon us to do something, and I'm going to close. I'm not going to ask for it. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit ask for it. Because if you've been convicted this morning, and I'm going to tell you something, I have not stood behind this desk not convicted. I am totally convicted. Amen. That I must bring about a change. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, would you stand? And would you say, Lord, all right. I believe your word. I may not know the personality in the pulpit. And I may not even know the life he lives out of the pulpit. But this one thing I know, I know the God of the word. And I've heard your word this morning. And you've spoken to my spirit. And I'm asking you, Lord. I don't know what it is you want to do, but I'm asking you, Lord, on a personal level, change me before I can change my neighbor, before I can change that honorary man on the job or that employer or that teacher or that classmate. Change me, Lord. When you change me, give me the grace to let them know you can change them. Thank you, Father. You're still in the court of heaven this morning. You're still before the just judge of the earth, the just justice. A God that not only hears what we say, but understands the thoughts of our mind and the intents of our heart. And so everything that happens from this moment forward is totally stand where you're at or you can come to the front you can do whatever you choose to do but whatever you do you do that between you and your God because he's here this morning he's here this morning and I say Father God what we felt in the beginning of this service was just a wind of what you want from us. The spirit of intercession that swept across this congregation 
is the cry of your heart that's saying, I want to hear from you today. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to lay the mic down. You do now whatever you choose to do. In Jesus' name. There is power 